In this episode, I talk to Mark Loosemore of Iris about using technology to improve client engagement. We cover client data, the connected world, social media, and more. Mark's interview is packed with tips and ideas you can follow up. That's all right here in episode 78 of the Marketing, Protection, and Finance podcast. Welcome, you're listening to the podcast for financial services professionals looking to share business ideas and inspiration in the world of marketing, protection and finance. So let's get on with the show and here's your host, Roger Edwards. Welcome folks to the Empath Podcast and thanks as always for streaming or downloading this episode and giving me and my guests some of your valuable time. If you have two more minutes, please, can you share the podcast with one friend or one colleague, either by email or social media? Let's grow the audience so that I can continue to bring you great guests who will share their ideas and insights with you. Tell them to check out rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash M-P-A-F. And if you're looking for help with your marketing strategy, content, or social media, or perhaps you need a speaker for your next meeting or conference, I'd like to help you. Do please get in touch at rogeredwards.co.uk. So, let's have a look at seven ways to use technology to improve client engagement, courtesy of Mark Loosemore. Mark is Executive General Manager for Wealth for Iris UK. With expertise in IT company sales strategy and e-commerce and financial services, Mark is a well-known speaker in the UK on everything digital. So here's that interview right here on the Marketing, Protection and Finance podcast. So Mark, welcome to the Empath Podcast. Thank you very much. And Mark, tell me, where are we Skyping each other from today? Uh, I'm down in Warwick. Uh, I live in Stratford-upon-Avon, which isn't uh, too far away, but uh, we're in sunny Warwick today. And of course, I'm in Edinburgh. Mark, today we are going to talk about seven ways to use technology to improve client engagement. But before we get to that, what would be really interesting is if you could tell the listeners of the Empath Podcast a little bit about yourself, where you come from, where you're going, what your ambitions are, and basically what makes Mark Loosemore tick. Okay. Um, well, uh, I was born in Wales and passionate Welsh uh, supporter of rugby and uh, football. Um, I enjoy life. I enjoy work. And uh, most I enjoy and love my family very much and enjoy spending time uh, time with them. Trying to get fit at the moment, so I've just taken up running a, just over a year ago and I've signed up for the London Marathon in uh, April, so my drive at the moment is to uh, run that and raise a bit of money for Click Sergeant, which is a charity that looks after kids with cancer. So uh, a little plug, anyone want to go on my just giving page and uh, donate please feel free that's that's quite an ambition to go for a, a london marathon within a year Look, running's a, something that uh, i'm quite fit i'm actually a fitness instructor in my, in my spare time but running's just something i just can't do but my wife's encouraged me to enter a 5k later in the year so i think that's about as far as i'm gonna get yeah well i started off probably to be fair about 18 months ago doing the um Couch to 5k app on uh, on the iPhone, and um, that drove me to 5k. And then somehow I accidentally ended up doing a half marathon in September, and now the 
the London Marathon. I'm, I'm suffering a little bit, I think. <laughs> and of course, Mark, you work for Iris, uh, which yeah. is a well-known company in the financial services industry, uh, providing quotations and other information for financial planners. Just tell me a little bit about Iris, where you are at the moment and what your current plans are. Okay, well, um, Iris is an Australian company by origin, uh, floated on the uh, stock market over in uh, Australia. I joined Iris um, back in the end of 2011 when um, Iris was just entering the UK. Um, and um, I, I really, it's been a story of growth since then um, uh, with a number of acquisitions along the way. The uh, most significant acquisition was of a company called Develo, uh, who do the quotation systems that you're talking about, but also have very strong uh, back office systems such as uh, Advisor Office and Office Web, uh, and also own mortgage sourcing systems such as Trigold. Um, uh, further acquisitions happened at the end of last year, a company called Pulse and a company called ProQuote. Um, and really, the UK now is the growth engine of uh, Iris globally and uh, continues to get that investment. Um, a very exciting time to be at Iris. Yeah, and I think um, before Avello, it was the exchange, wasn't it? So I'm sure, sure I'm showing my age there by remembering yeah. all the different uh, brands that have, have led to where you are today. So, Mark, it's very interesting that uh, I think you're out and about at the moment, giving people a bit of an insight into how technology can help them with their customer engagement. I thought it'd be quite useful and very interesting for the listeners of the Empath podcast to hear these seven tips that you've got. So why don't we sort of just launch into it, start working our way through the seven and see where we get to. So how about we start at number one? And of course, starting at the beginning is a very good place to start. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, so for me, the first point that I always talk to people about is client data uh, and actually making sure that you've got your client data right. Um, I think it's something that we tend to um, often simplify and just assume that we're going to put a new system in and we're just going to transfer it for, for, uh, for data over and everything's going to be hunky-dory and uh, almost a, a magic wand is waved and the data comes correct, uh, comes correct overnight. The truth is we need to invest time to understand that data and clean that data before we can use it. Now the interesting thing for me isn't just getting the data right. Once you've got the data right, it's how what we do with that. So we then need to convert that to information and to, uh, into knowledge and ultimately into wisdom. And I, I'll give you a little example uh, of that. Um, if data is just, say, an answer to a question, maybe we're talking about an attitude to risk questionnaire, so that the, the, the data is the answer to that, uh, that uh, question within there. Information is how we link that data together to come up with a fact so we can link those answers together to come up with that we are a balanced pro-risk profile. But that's only the start of the journey. We really want to turn that into knowledge. And the knowledge is really uh, about what we do with that, how we combine that information with our own expertise uh, to actually come up with uh, something of value to the end client. So in that case, you're a balanced pro uh, profiler. That means you should be in this asset, all uh, asset allocation. And when we turn that to wisdom, that is when we're using our systems to give us proactive alerts that maybe something's changed and therefore we need to change something in the way that we're operating with our clients. So maybe the stock market's moved, some of that underlying data therefore has changed and now our um, asset allocation is now out of sync with our, our risk profile so we can impart to the client proactively that they need to take some action. So it's really how we go along that journey. Now 
The challenge with all of that is unless you get that data correct at the start, the rest of that uh, falls down. So that comes back to the importance of acquiring data and acquiring it electronically. And that's not easy. As long as I've been in this industry and I've probably been working with uh, IFAs and financial advisors on this for about 25 years, people have said, well, yeah, but I don't want to take a computer to see a client. I don't want a laptop sitting between me and the client. That breaks the chemistry between us. Um, now, we are seeing that change and that's because we have things like tablets. So whereas the barrier of the screen used to be the issue, a tablet is now handed across to a client to involve them in uh, entering the data. We're also seeing things like fact finds put electronically online so that people can actually engage with that fact find, enter the data themselves in their own time when they're not feeling pressured, when they're not worried about having to find a piece of data in a file and looking disorganized to their financial advisor, where they're not worried that they're paying for the time of the advisor in front of them and actually get that data right. Now, if we do that, we can really get the cost of data acquisition down, get more data in, and therefore move along this curve. So my number one um, uh, tip would be get your client data straight, invest time in doing it, and invest time in getting the client involved in helping you get that right. I remember um, being involved with the company a while back, setting up a new system, and I think at the time, yeah, right at the start, what that company didn't do, and it was expedient at the time in terms of development, was include within the data something to note to notify us whether the client had ticked the box to say whether it was okay for us to con- contact them in future from a communications point of view. And without that data, you know, you break the um, Data Protection Act if you actually contacted them. So we effectively excluded for many, many years a whole cohort of clients simply because at the time it saved a little bit of cash not to collect that piece of data. Yeah, I I think you're right. And if you don't get that right at the start, then you live with that legacy for, for a long period of time. You've either got to go back to a whole host of clients to get them to change that or you're running a two-tier um, servicing model, which isn't really sustainable. So you're right. You need to sit down at the start of, uh, of the journey and, and make sure that you're uh, addressing this uh, in, in a controlled and consistent manner. Yeah, we definitely don't want two-tier. So number one, very interesting, data. Let's move on to number two. So number two, really, for me, is looking around the tools and calculators that are out there now to actually help people uh, um, maximize the use of that data. Those tools are a whole host of things. So that you know, you mentioned the exchange. There can be things like comparative engines. But I'm also thinking here of cash flow planning tools. I'm thinking of uh, we talked about asset allocation before and um, uh, attitude to risk. So there could be the uh, attitude to risk type questionnaires. Um, there could be stochastic modeling. Uh, there's some good portfolio management solutions there as well. And 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 there's a real uptake in those sort of tools in the marketplace, particularly cash flow planning. Now. Cash flow planning hasn't yet become mainstream, i.e. maybe over 50%, but it's getting there within the financial planning market. And I had a really interesting chat with um, uh, a lady that was very senior in the IFP, and she explained to me why it was so important to her, and and I've uh, taken that uh, lesson on. And that for her was that if we are existing in a transactional world, so we're just selling a protection policy, we're just selling an ISA, it's quite price sensitive and it's difficult in a post-RDR world to really 
justify fees for that selling of that ice or, or simple investment product. Um, if we start moving to a world where we're doing financial advice and we're actually getting into uh, um, analyzing people's situation, then we, it becomes a little less uh, price sensitive, uh, sensitive. If we do that across multiple needs, the price sensitivity comes down again. But if we go all the way to lifestyle and cash flow planning, then it becomes very much that the focus is on what is actually being done for the client, what money's been saved in terms of, um, you know, uh, in terms of the tax position, what they've actually helped them understand where they want to go in terms of their goals, and people less worried about the price and the more worried about the value they're getting from the process. Um, so I think um, for me, number two is how do we use those tools uh, to, to t uh, take advantage of the data. The other thing um, that someone once said to me uh, about this, um, a gentleman called Dennis Hall from Yellowtail um, Financial Planning, he said the reason why he uses these tools is that he can um, produce institutional quality documentation from these tools, but he's got the advantage that he's got the personal relationship uh, that maybe the institutions will struggle to get. So by using this sort of um, technology, we can look and seem as solid and as robust as those uh, uh, big institutions, but we're giving that personalized service. We have that relationship and, you know, and, and some really good knowledge that we've got ourselves to combine together to give a really compelling proposition to our clients. So um, number two, tools and calculators. Let's move on to number three, Mark. So the third thing for me is uh, really just getting aware of the overall connected world. So I, I call number three connected world, and this is really about making sure that we're linking electronically to as many different parties as we can uh, out there. So um, the obvious one is the client, mm -hmm. um, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that one later, I think. Um, but making sure that you have means that the client can communicate with you electronically but securely. Uh, and, and, and I'll come back to that. But it shouldn't just be about the client. So if we're talking to uh, advisors, we often talk about how they're actually linking to the platforms and the product providers electronically. Can you get client valuation data down into your systems electronically? Um, can you get that at a transactional level so that you know, you've actually got accurate transactional uh, data? Um, can you link to your partners? So if you're working with an accountancy, uh, maybe you're in the protection world and you're working with um, or mortgage world and you're working with an estate agent um, can they is there data you want to share with them electronically I've seen some really good examples of estate agents linking up with uh, mortgage brokers and the estate agents have a means of electronically entering the leads uh, for the broker and the broker electronically keeps the uh, estate agent informed of the progress either engaging with employ uh, employers how are you engaging with them electronically? Are you giving them systems to be able to, uh, to uh, access things? The regulator, are you, um, how, how, are you, how are you managing your relationship with the regulator or even professional bodies? Um, so there's lots of different parties that I think we need to join together. And if we start joining those together, I think coming back to that very first uh, point of data, that data can become timely and it can have increased accuracy and the cost of acquiring that data can be a lot lower. So it all comes back to that and then once we've got it we can drive efficiencies into the process uh, and ultimately back down to the, the client we improve the service levels that we give the client. So number three for me is the connected world. 
And of course, if you're a financial planner working for a network or something like that, it's likely that the centre has created these connections for you. But if you're a one-man band or a smaller company, it's going to be very difficult to do this yourself. So presumably there are people out there who can help you to connect all of these gizmos together. So I think um, practice management systems such as you know the ones that we provide, a mentioned advisor office and and, and X plan, um, those you know those sort of solutions you could and, and, and our competitors too would uh, would allow you to do those connections. And um, really, it's a, a, about embracing systems such as that to make sure you connect effectively. Fantastic. Let's move on to number four, Mark. So number four, I'm going to be a little, uh, I don't know if this is controversial or not. Sometimes I, I, I say this to financial advisors and they're, 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 they're so keen to tell me how they're already doing this. Other people tell me they will never go down this route at all. But I want to talk about social media. Yay! Um, <laughs> and, and it's a real, a real split. I was at a, um, a conference last week, and the, the audience was completely divided on social media. Um, and um, there were people there that were driving significant business to their businesses uh, through social media. One through Facebook and using the boost functionality on Facebook to sort of extend his reach um, out uh, to the market. Another person was using LinkedIn very effectively other people didn't want to go near it now now what I say to people about social media is first of all think of it as in two ways because uh, you don't have to do everything with social media and one think of it as listening and the other think about it uh, uh, as putting out your message because I think we tend to automatically think about Twitter as just tweeting to people uh, or Facebook as you know posting to people actually they're a very useful information uh, source of information and data uh, as well and I think um, uh, you know we we talk in the real world about having two ears and uh, uh, one mouth but with same in uh, technology I think we have two eyes and we need to use those eyes <laughs> on the screen to, to you know to, to, to listen uh, to pick up what our clients are saying and, and if we're tracking um, some of our clients activity I mean simple things like some of the CRM systems and certainly sort of XPlan would do this will enable you to have um, a feed, you know, have your feeds from your social media on there. So you can, before you go out and see the client, you can simply look up what they've recently put up uh, on Twitter or Facebook or whatever they, they may be in. So you have an icebreaker when you go and see your client. So um, you can see and show that you're genuinely interested uh, in, in, in their life. I've, I've actually seen a case study from Australia where it went further and um, people were proactively monitoring the social media to improve their service levels. So a very sad um, story, but one advisor spotted that um, uh, one of his client's daughter had got leukemia um, uh, uh, and he spotted that on social media, but he used that as a service point where he was going to he approached the client you know, reassured them not to worry about the financial aspects, that he had the various policies in place that would uh, would help out to focus on the daughter while he took uh, care of that side of things. And it was that sort of proactive service you can do by, by, by listening. So normally we start talking about social media about how we can pass out a message, but I didn't want to miss the, the, the listening people. And it's not for everyone. Some people say, no, that's too big, brother. I'm not going to do that. That's fine. But it, 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 some people are finding that useful. If we talk about broadcasting, then I think there's a number of different um, uh, medias um, to, to, to talk, uh, social media sites to, to talk about. Um, I think we do um, uh, often focus on the on Facebook. I think Facebook is quite a, engaging on a personal side. On, on the business side, I tend to find people more focused on Twitter and LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, uh, LinkedIn, it, it, you know, is really powerful. Um, uh, 
but to me is more of a more referenceable. It's, it, you know, people will use it not just as a glorified address, but, but they'll also use it to to read information, posts, blogs, etc. Uh, Twitter, I find far more conversational. And I think, therefore, Twitter can build relationships more. So I think um, you can use Twitter very well to sort of get across your expertise and build that relationship. Um, I've seen Twitter used so badly, though, as well in financial services. Uh, the number of people that I sign up to and the next day get, uh, or even the same day, get uh, a tweet from them or a direct message from them saying I've got a great investment for you or can I offer you a free financial review I, I don't know them yet you know, no. Twitter, Twitter's about building that rapport building that relationship having conversations and then they will come to you and I think that's quite a hard uh, discipline but it shouldn't be about flogging product um, not, not least you know, this is still in a compliance regime. The tweet will stand alone in the compliance, even if it links to the website. It's got to stand alone in terms of its integrity. So we need to stay away from doing the sales pitch on Twitter and and, and focus on uh, on relationships. Uh, I believe as well. I think you're making some great points here. And to be perfectly honest, we could do an entire podcast on this, uh, si- this on this subject. To me, social media is um, it's a big issue in the financial services industry. I think that we, we've got two ends of the spectrum. I know that there are some people out there who won't use it at all, and that's perhaps because their compliance people have said, we don't want you on Twitter, full stop, end of. And then you've got people at the other end of the spectrum who are using it, as you say, very, very productively and very, very successfully to get customers and to get um, relationships. But I think that the, the point that I would like to re-emphasize that you've made there already, Mark, is that remember that this is social media it's about engagement it's about building relationships it's about having conversations it isn't broadcast media so yes you can point people to content that you've you've written or you've or videos that you've recorded but it shouldn't be used as out and out publicity because that's not really what social media is all about and the listening thing is just so important as well and one of the things i often do is use the twitter search facility and i'll put a keyword in the search bar like say life insurance or financial advice and if you put the question mark after the search term then you'll be returned with a load of questions that people have been asking with that search term in so for example if you put life insurance question mark somebody might have asked a question somewhere which says where should i look for the best life insurance policy and that gives you an opportunity to engage with that person and maybe answer that question rather than as you've said sending them a direct message saying hey Come, come to me, I'll sell you a life insurance policy. So it's about listening to what people are saying. I think these are really, really interesting points. But rather than getting um, completely obsessed with social media, perhaps we should move on to number five. Uh, so number five for me is um, client management systems. Um, uh, <coughs> I earlier called them practice management systems. I think there's a huge debate on, on, on what you, you might call them. Um, and, and again, um, just like I said with LinkedIn, this has got to be more than a glorified address book. So um, this isn't just about storing all your client details in there, um, uh, particularly just uh, limiting it to um, 
in a name and address, this has to be rich data within there. So we want to store all the information about the client portfolio within there. We want to link that up through that connected world to make sure that data is updated so that we've got the current position in there. Um, we also want to uh, actually drive workflow processes uh, through the client, client management system. And they can be quite simple processes like client on, uh, engage, on, onboarding uh, processes or um, you know, a review process uh, within that. Um, but if we do that and we drive behaviors, we can get consistent behaviors across our business for all our clients, which I think is absolutely key. Uh, and I know the regulator is uh, keen on uh, as well. The other thing I think that that gives us the advantage to do, if we start driving workflow processes through the system, we start monitoring and, and, and logging client touch points in the system, we can then start benchmarking the service levels that uh, we're giving our clients. So we could have a service level agreement uh, with a client that says we're going to have two meetings per year face-to-face -face with them, we're going to give them a quarterly touch base by phone and we're going to send them out a monthly newsletter. Um, in, uh, in addition, maybe um, uh, I'm going to refer um, one of my uh, teams to speak to them about tax once a year as well. I, I, I don't know, whatever the service level uh, that you set up with them. We can then graphically within these uh, within the practice management system be comparing how are we doing against this? And I would love instantly for people to be bold enough to then put that up on the digital platform and actually share how we're doing uh, with, a, with, with, the, with the client. But even if you're not, just so that you know, are you meeting your commitments to that client? Are you exceeding your commitments to that client? Because if you're not, the client will be feeling it and will be unhappy in the background. It's much better that you know it up front so you can address it. So I, I think just trying to be a little bit more proactive in, uh, in how we're um, using uh, our, our back office systems. Um, I, and I'd also say, don't just leave this to uh, holding data about clients. Hold data on your partners, your professional advisors that you're working with. Hold data on your advisors and your staff. You know, hold their TNC information uh, uh, within here. Um, make get rid of all those little spreadsheets that you had around your business that was looking at qualifications, looking at complaints management, um, uh, look at gifts and um, uh, registers and stuff like that, and hold all of that within uh, the same central uh, database. Um, because there's lots of interactions between that data, and I think it's really important to have it in one place. Again, it's all about engagement, isn't it, Mark? I think this yeah. is just another opportunity to engage with your clients, engage with your customers. So that's number five. Let's move on to number six. Um, okay, well, number six for me is your digital presence. Um, and I think this is, uh, again, somewhat controversial in the industry, depending on how far people want to go. And I hasten to add, there's probably no right answer. Different people's services proposition to their clients will need different levels of digital presence. Um, I do think you know that, that it is a hygiene factor to have a, a, a website of some sort. I know not everybody does in the industry yet, but I think that's becoming increasingly rare. I think the quality of those websites vary, and I think this, how interactive those websites are uh, varies. But I think you know we are seeing people put little tools on there to do some basic analysis, even if it's people like me type uh, analysis tools onto a public website. So. Phase one of digital presence is a website. I then think we look at private portals on the website for um, for clients to access uh, information about themselves that you hold and also to communicate with the advice firm as well. So um, phase two is to create those sort of digital portals. Um, now, often those portals are created 
to share information about portfolios and show progress against those portfolios. I think very quickly they tend to move on to the communication mechanism. Uh, stuff that you would like to email but you can't because the data is too sensitive um, uh, and would involve a whole load of encryption and uh, um, you know, maybe the, uh, a fact file report or a financial report. People are now putting on the portal and then emailing the client to say, you know, uh, look, the, the, the latest uh, financial plan is uh, up on the portal, log in and, uh, and draw it down. And, and it becomes that communication mechanism and an audit trail for the client that they've got everything that they needed uh, up there as well. I think the other thing I would mention on that portal is I think people want apps. So I think people are looking now to have a, a, an app that gives them that same access to communication with their advisor, um, and that's very much part of it. So we start just a presence website, we then move to the client portal, and then we get into um, the, the more uh, hotly debated topics of, you know, do we go to execution type services, Hargreaves, Lansdowne down type services, or do we go all the way to, to, to robo-advice? Uh, and I think robo-advice is the one that's got the sort of the, the big momentum for discussion uh, in the market. Even with robo-advice though, I think there's so many different interpretations of what that means it is involved in that. So I've seen examples um, such as Sedso, which is uh, a, a service out there which is really looking at engaging with the client online, does the fact find online, does, uh, you know, gets all the data electronically from the client, but it's people behind the scenes that are then analyzing that and producing the financial reports and executing on any recommendations once they've engaged. So in their case, the, it's less robo and more remote advice, but it's kind of been linked into that same term. All the way through to maybe you've got services like Money on uh, Toast, which uh, you can you know use to buy an, uh, um, an ISA, uh, etc. Uh, uh, as well. Um, and actually, some of those aren't coming from necessarily big companies. Um, you know, um, I think it's Chapters Financial that does said so, uh, CPN. They're, they're, they're not necessarily the huge companies, but they are companies with vision um, and, and, and knowing where they want to, how they want to engage with the clients in the future. Um, so I think it's a really interesting space at the moment. And we are finally at number seven, Mark. Yeah, so number seven for me is all around um, uh, personal data management. So maybe it's a little bit more looking into the future. Um, I'm looking at some of the services such as the uh, Verify service that the government uh, uses at the moment. It's a, it's a Verify service is like a digital passport, really. Um, and you know, when I ask people how many people um, uh, have used it, no one ever puts their hand up. But actually, it has huge coverage uh, in, in the general population now and it's used on the government sites to um, enable you to have your identity checked as you move through different services so if you go and renew your driving license or you've lost your passport and you want a new passport or um, you're paying your road tax it's that same uh, digital passport that you're taking uh, around with you now it doesn't take too much imagination to say can that data set be extended um, and, and can it be used for other functions in the financial services world? So, you know, I, I believe there's conversations with some of um, the industry bodies like Tizer and also some of the banks where they're looking at, you know, can this be used for account opening? Um, you know, and if we ultimately extend it to fact-find data, can it take data around with you uh, as well? So I think it becomes a really interesting space. And then I think you add things like pensions dashboards onto it, um, uh, where some of the 
countries now and the UK has uh, put uh, an intention to do this um, have a centralised in uh, place where you can go and get your latest pensions information, not just your state benefits, but the, the pensions that you, uh, that you've got out there as well. And you can get that from the central uh, location. And I think going right the way back to point number one on client data. We're going to have a wealth of data available to the end consumer here that is potentially also available to, to the advisors. Um, and we need to be quite comfortable of the role that uh, the advisor plays in this because it's not just about presenting data anymore. It's about what can we add to that data to create it into information, to create it to knowledge, to create yeah. it to, to wisdom. And, and it becomes a really interesting dynamic. So my final one is keep an eye on this whole space of personal data management and the role in government in, in that area. Fantastic. Mark, we have um, cantered through one hell of a lot of information this morning. <laughs> well, I'm sat here thinking that, that each of these seven points that you've made today could have actually been a standalone podcast all on their own. Right. So maybe that's something Iris needs to think about. You know, you've got enough material here to start an iris podcast so we've looked at data that was number one number two was tools and calculators we talked number three about the connected world number four was social media number five was client management number six was digital presence and finally personal data management mark is it possible that you could almost condense everything we've talked about today into the one thing that you'd like those people listening to the empath podcast today to take away from what we've talked about the, probably the biggest thing for me is going back to number one, which is why I put it at number one, is get your data right. Everything else uh, stems from that. If I was to add anything else to that, it is once you're then using that data, the only way to keep it accurate, keep it right, is to try and do as much as you can from a unified system. So use one system across as much of your your processes as, uh, and as many of your processes uh, as you can. So you've got one version of the truth always. So that will probably be my biggest thing. Knowing your customer, I think that's where we have to start, isn't it? Knowing your yeah. customer quite intimately with the, the data that's available. Mark, it's been fascinating to go through these um, seven ideas with you this morning. Before we go, I always like to finish the podcast with four very quick-fire business questions, and we'll go straight into that now. Wow. Mark, Mark, what's the one thing that you change about the financial services industry if someone gave you a magic wand to wave? Uh, about apathy towards it from the general public. <laughs> it frustrates me that um, people still don't plan properly for their retirement they uh, are underinvested and underprotected so uh, probably my change would be for the general public to wake up to the importance of the industry is there one business model or it could be a product or a campaign that's caught your attention in the last year tell us what it was and what you liked about it can I big up our own marketing part on that? Because we did a really interesting one uh, using social media on um, on client service. Because I think it's something that we often forget, and I'm sure uh, uh, many firms forget, is just how many successful client touch points that we have. So what we started to do was each one, um, uh, each time we had a positive statement back from a client to a support desk or to our sales team or to a delivery team, we captured it and we put it out on Twitter with the same hashtag. We created a Twitter about it and we really built up some momentum about good service moments and I think the marketing team really got that out on social media. Tell us about an app or a gadget that's made a huge difference to your working life. 
I'm going to be really boring and go for the iPhone. Um, I just remember how, how far, you know, when I first started um, in the early 90s, we used to do everything, you know, I had a paper-based A to Z, um, I had an alarm clock that was waking me up in the morning, um, I'd have a different paper-based diary, uh, maybe a file of facts, had all these different gadgets going around, I had a camera, a video camera, you know, <laughs> and now we have one unified platform. So just like I was saying with the unified technology in your, in your business, the iPhone is, is my dream of one unified piece of technology that does so many different things for me. What's the best business book you've ever read? Tell us what it was and what you liked about it. Okay, I'm going to go slightly, I don't know whether you count this as a business book or not, but I'll, I'll, I'll go for it. It's probably Bounce um, by Matthew Said, and it was actually a sports book that talks about um, uh, how there is very, well, he would say there is no such thing as being born with a natural talent, and actually, uh, you know, there are some people that have uh, physical things that will help them, you know, a tall person might be good at basketball, but actually, very there is no such thing as actually being born with a native talent for tennis or or, or, or running, etc. And that actually comes from practice and it comes through uh, patterns that you learn within the sport. And I think that you then apply that to, to the business world, which he goes on to do. I think we often forget that. So we will uh, take people that have no relevant practice and experience and put them in a job and wonder why, uh, which isn't the same, and wonder uh, why they fail. Now, Matthew Said was a table tennis player, and he was put in a tennis match, and he couldn't hit the ball. <laughs> and I think I think we try and take someone, and we think that job's quite similar. Um, you know, they'll, they'll fly, or we'll we'll procure a system from a software supplier that is a generic CRM supplier, but has never done anything in financial services, and expect it to work in financial services. So I think um, uh, that's probably uh, it's a really good read it's a really interesting read it's one that sort of you can apply to your personal interest and then actually you step back and it applies really nicely to your work life as well so um uh, a fascinating book i recommend it fantastic mark i'm sure there's going to be a lot of people out there going to want to get in touch with you after hearing your ideas this morning so tell me what's the best way that they should connect with you um Probably um, uh, by, uh, by email, mark.loosemore at iris.co.uk. Um, but um, obviously uh, follow me on uh, uh, Twitter or on, um, uh, on LinkedIn as well. Fantastic. Mark, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for your ideas. Thanks for all seven of them. And as I say, a lot of material to get through, but I've taken a lot from what I've heard this morning and hopefully everyone listening in will have done the same. I'll include the links to things we've talked about on the show notes of this um, podcast, which is at uh, rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF. That's rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF. Mark, thanks for coming on. Pleasure. Good luck for the future and hope to catch up with you again soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Protection and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. If you are a provider or advisor or journalist and you have a product, campaign or business model you'd like to talk about, please get in touch. You can be the next guest on the show. And do remember, nothing we talk about on the show is financial advice of any kind. It's all just thoughts and opinions, okay?